0: Well, hello and welcome to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Hope you're Enjoying some fine jazz this week, and this adds to the total. We are dedicated to exploring some of the cobwebby corners of jazz recorded history and focusing on some unusual themes here and there. And I think uh, today's show qualifies for that. We're going to be featuring the music of a man named Archie Blyer. And Archie Blyer probably is not a name terribly familiar to most people today. This is actually going to be our second Archie Blyer podcast. The first one uh, will be... uh, coming via our WETF uh, Jazz Focus radio show, so I'll be posting that. Uh, I have already posted that by the time you listen to this podcast, most likely. Um, Although I may do them in reverse order, you never know. Anyway, our... show today on Archie Blyer will be dedicated to his arrangements. He was not known as a player. Uh, He was a piano player, I guess, and played trumpet in his youth, but he was uh, a very good uh, arranger and orchestrator. And beginning in his college days in about 1927-28, he was at Columbia uh, studying to be an electrical engineer. Uh, He started turning out Uh, arrangements of popular tunes of the day uh, that were published by publishers. And publishers uh, uh, existed in New York in great number at the time, music publishers who would bring out tunes from Tin Pan Alley, and simultaneously they would bring out arrangements for a variety of different groups. It could be a military band, it could be a theater orchestra, or most commonly at the time it would be a dance orchestra. And from the late 1920s to the early 1930s, the standard instrumentation was two trumpets and one trombone, three, saxophones, uh, piano, banjo or guitar, tuba or bass, and drums, and usually there'd be a violin part in there as well. And there were enough possibilities within the arrangements for doubling and so forth that you could get away playing those arrangements with a much smaller group. Uh, So they were designed for utility, and uh, they would be sent out by a publisher, say Irving Berlin, and uh, bringing out uh, an arrangement for uh, a band of a tune that he was publishing. The arrangements would be made available uh, by mail order, or also in music stores. And if you had a band in some remote area, or not remote as the case may be, you'd go to your local music store, plunk down your dollar and a half, or whatever it was, and get a folio arrangement of this new tune, which your band could then play. In the swing era, stock arrangements came to have a stigma attached to them. They were considered to be kind of uh, hackwork uh, versions of popular tunes by popular bands like In the Mood or I'm Getting Sentimental Over You, things like that. But uh, before the swing era, these stock arrangements were actually quite good. They were uh, done by very competent arrangers like Archie Blyer. Um, They were often... used by major bands who sometimes have been given credit for writing them uh, in, in the past. But listening to these arrangements and looking at them uh, as they were published, you can see that these bands were actually reading from these stock arrangements. Sometimes they would take liberties with them, add a solo, change a, a verse or an introduction or something uh, to greater or lesser degree. But all the recordings we're going to hear today, were we can be reasonably sure that these bands were in the studio with the Archie Blyer stock in front of them. I did some uh, research on Archie Blyer, and I was amazed at how many black musicians from that period mentioned Blyer by name, and not at the time, but 40, 50 years later when they were writing autobiographies and being interviewed. And uh, musicians like Jonah Jones and Barney Bagard, Clyde Bernard... Um, Buck Clayton, Horace Henderson, Benny Carter, all of these different people cited Archie Blyer by name as an arranger whose work was worth playing, and in some cases, Buck Clayton especially, said they were especially challenging, and sometimes were very difficult to to play without rehearsal. Um, The most uh, famous Archie Blyer tune was a tune called Business in F, and that's what I led off our... Uh, first uh, Archie Blyer podcast with uh, the radio show. That was done famously by Fletcher Henderson's band, and as I mentioned on that podcast, Blyer was unaware that Henderson had recorded it. He did an interview towards the end of his life in the mid-70s, and when the interviewer brought up the fact that Henderson had recorded that, Blyer was quite surprised and even said he was pleased. So he was somewhat out of the mainstream in that regard, although his arrangements managed to capture a lot of the hot jazz flavor of the late 1920s and early 30s that was being... um, Produced on a regular basis, largely by the black bands at the time, and Blyer f- figured ways of writing them down and and. Um writing out the rhythms uh, in in a standard way so other musicians who maybe were not so uh, familiar with the style or not able to improvise could reproduce that style. So if you had a band that was not a hot jazz band per se or uh, didn't have a lot of improvisers, you could play an Archie Blyer arrangement and give a pretty fair approximation of a hot jazz style. And they were very um, prized by non-jazz bands or, or little jazz bands, I guess I'd have to say, for that. But as I said, some of the more established jazz groups like Duke Ellington's Fletcher Henderson's King Oliver and so on uh they really uh appreciated the Blair arrangements uh, for the jazz that they brought as well and they would um honor them, I guess, by recording them and adding some of their solo abilities as well. We're going to hear lots of examples of that. So a little bit about Archie Blyer. He was born in 1909 uh, in New York. His father was a trumpet player. I think he played with the New York Philharmonic. Uh, He was uh, uh, an emigrant from Germany. Uh, Blyer grew up in a fairly well-to-do household, or upper middle class, I guess. As I said, he went to Columbia to study electrical engineering, Uh, but as most college students do, he started going out and going to clubs and so forth and became quite attracted to, uh, some of the black jazz bands, especially at the Cotton Club, uh, Duke Ellington band. I think you heard Louis Russell's band. A little later he became friendly with Cab Calloway's band and he started writing these arrangements. He was playing piano in a dance band himself and, uh, Uh, he was introduced to a a publisher who said uh, he would like to buy one of his arrangements and he did. And that started him on a, uh, an independent contractor's career where he would be assigned songs by different publishers. And by his count, he uh, did something like 400 arrangements, although that seems a little bit high. I have about 200 of them in my collection and I've scoured around and I can't find too many more. So I think probably he was including arrangements that were not published or ones that came from later in his career. Um, After a while, and the Depression kind of ended the industry a little bit, and uh, Blyer took his own band on the road, which wasn't very successful, and he went into the recording studios and started uh, conducting radio bands and arranging for groups like that in the late 30s and into the 40s. He uh, made the acquaintance of Arthur Godfrey, the great entertainer, uh, and began leading his band on radio and then in television. He was uh, Godfrey's band director for a number of years. Uh, Godfrey was famous for his temper and his um, lack of sympathy for, uh, his employees who would sometimes get popularity on their own, uh, two feet and he would discharge them as he did Archie Blyer, along with the singer Julius La Rosa, because Blyer had recorded Julius La Rosa singing a song called, uh, Anywhere I Wander, I think was the title for his new record label, Candid, um, or excuse me, Cadence Records. And, uh, it became a big hit and Godfrey got jealous and fired them both basically. But, uh, Blyer, Continued with Cadence Records, he had a number of hit records with uh, Julius La Rosa, with Andy Williams, and also instrumentals that he directed and kept that label going until the early '60s, when uh, he sold uh, the whole catalog, uh, whole kit and caboodle, to Andy Williams, and then went into retirement. He lived into uh, the 1980s uh, period of ill health. He actually married one of his acts, the Cordettes. One of the Cordettes uh, became his wife, and he went off to live with her family in the 1980s in Wisconsin. But The part of his career that we're most interested in is the late 20s and early 30s. So we're going to start out by playing uh, not Business in F, but Business in Q. Uh, This was a follow-up tune. Business in F was a big success for Blyer, and that encouraged him to found his own publishing company, which he did. It wasn't very successful, but it did put out a number of arrangements, including this one, Business in Q. It also allowed him to market a mail order uh, arranging course, a correspondence course, and... um, You could buy these different arrangements and sign up for for arranging lessons with the great Archie Blyer, as many people did, including Eddie Sauter, who became well-known as an arranger for Benny Goodman, and then later with his band, the Sauter-Finnegan Band. And uh, he credited Archie Blyer with with some uh, of his um, early training. Uh, He also may have done some work on some of the later Blyer arrangements in the mid-30s. So this business in queue that we're going to hear is done by Frankie Trumbauer and his orchestra. Frankie Trumbauer, of course, was the saxophonist, C-melody saxophonist, whose career was intertwined with Bix Spiderbeck's in the 1920s. They played with the Gene Goldkett Band and then with the Paul Whiteman Band. And uh, Trumbauer stayed with the Whiteman Band into the early 30s, and then he took his own band on the road. They uh, played... Uh, engagements in new york and chicago and then eventually he went back to whiteman and uh, stayed with him into the 40s so this tune business in Q," which was composed by, as well as arranged by Blyer, was recorded on october 17th 1932 for columbia uh, among others we'll hear joe harris on trombone uh Trumbauer, of course, on C-melody saxophone, and uh, really no other well-known musicians, but a good swingy arrangement, early swing era, pre-swing era, I guess you'd have to say. And uh, uh, this type of band was exactly the type of band that Archie Blyer's arrangements were meant for. Uh, Didn't have any notable soloists, but some pretty good ones, and uh, all good reading musicians, so they could realize his score very nicely. Then we're going to hear a short version of a tune called I Lost My Gal uh, from Memphis, which uh, we played a a version of on the first uh, podcast. This one is by Red Nichols, and this band uh, was actually recording short versions of tunes for radio play. And so I excerpted this. This was part of a medley. So it only goes a minute or so, and uh, we're going to hear him doing a a sort of a a telescope version of the Blyer arrangement. And we're going to go to a tune called uh, Got the Bench, Got the Park, Got the Girl. And uh, this was one of the humorous or novelty types of tunes that Blyer was well known for doing and and extracting some music from nonetheless. This will be done by Noble Sissel and his orchestra. Sissel uh, recorded three tunes on this date, February 24, 1931. Two of them were Blyer arrangements. We heard "Loveless Love" to finish up our first program. This was recorded on the same date and features a vocal by Noble Sissel. We'll also hear uh, Tommy Ladnier on trumpet, uh, Billy Burns on trombone, uh, Rudy Jackson plays clarinet, uh, Ramon Uzera on tenor sax. And we're going to hear Sidney Bechet playing some soprano sax, and also, if you listen carefully, some bass saxophone in the ensembles. He uh, wasn't a great reader, and uh, he couldn't just keep soloing through the whole tune, so he played bass sax and doubled the bass line, and really gave this band some, some, some bottom to it that it wouldn't have had otherwise. So that'll be Noble Sissel in his orchestra. Then we're going to hear a British band led by Bert Ambrose, and uh, the British bands especially like these Blyer arrangements as soon as they crossed the Atlantic because, uh, again, you didn't have to have a lot of improvising musicians. As long as you had musicians who had a general idea of the rhythm and could read well, they could do a very good job uh, on these um, Uh, on these uh, Blyer stock arrangements. So Ambrose recorded quite a few uh, Blyer arrangements, Free and Easy, Living in the Sunlight, 11.30 Saturday Night, and uh, many others. We're going to hear a novelty tune called Piccolo Pete, and this is going to feature a vocal by a fellow named Lou Abelardo. And uh, in this band at the time, we have Sylvester Ahola, the Yankee trumpet player. Uh, If there's any solos, I believe he will do them. Ted Heath is on trombone. Danny Polo, another Yank, is on clarinet and alto sax. Joe Jeanette on clarinet and tenor sax. And uh, another, yet another Yank, Joe Brunelli, who is from Boston, on banjo and guitar. And uh, as I said, these are from January 2nd of 1930, done for the very early version of the Decca label. And those will be our tunes at that point. We're going to hear uh, Business in Q, Frankie Trombauer. I lost my gal in Memphis, Red Nichols, Got the Bench, Got the Park, by Noble Sissel, and Piccolo Pete, Ambrose and his orchestra, all doing arrangements of Archie Blyer.
1: I'll be a rolling stone until we're husband and wife. Got a nook, nice and dark, got a bench, got the park, got them all, but I haven't got you.
2: on his piccolo? No? Well you've missed a lot, for he certainly has got a style that's harder than hot. Sure enough, did you ever hear Pete go tweet, tweet, tweet on his piccolo? No? Well you've missed a treat, for his melodies sweet are the kind that couldn't be beat. He could pick a high note, he could pick a low note, he could pick a blue note. Pick a, pick a note that's a brand new note. Did you ever hear Pete go tweet, tweet, tweet on his piccolo? No? Well, I put you wise. He's a bird in disguise. The bird called Piccolo Pete. <laughs>
0: some Archie Blyer arrangements, finished up with Burt Ambrose and his orchestra, British orchestra for a Piccolo Pete. Not uh, a lot of jazz influence in there, or not a lot of jazz playing, I should say, but kind of a hot arrangement for hot dance players and dancers. We started out with... Business in Q, Frankie Trumbauer in his orchestra, Trumbauer doing some of his double-tonguing and flashy saxophone playing that was sort of out of the Rudy Widoff trend uh, tradition. Um, again, not many well-known players in there. Joe Harris was a trombone player who later went with Benny Goodman and uh, did quite a few recordings uh, in the 1930s and 40s. But uh, really the feature was on the arrangement and Trumbauer's playing. Then we heard that short version of I Lost My Gal from Memphis, Uh, Red Nichols and his orchestra. That was uh, excerpted out of a uh, transcription program. We've done transcriptions on this uh, podcast before. That was an early one from August of 1930. Uh, Nichols' band went in and did medleys of tunes that were uh, uh, used as part of the Heat program. He was the house band on there, and they were pre-recorded, and... um, There's a lot of uh, discrepancies in the personnel in there, uh, and probably these were done on different dates, too. But on that particular date with I Lost My Gal from Memphis, I believe the vocalist was Dick Robertson, who was a well-known... a studio vocalist at the time and uh, in the band at the time was uh, Glenn Miller on trombone probably Bud Freeman on tenor sax I think Adrian Rolini might have been in there on bass sax um, possibly Jimmy Dorsey on clarinet uh, Benny Goodman may have done a couple of those sessions I don't believe he was on that one this was at a time when the Nichols band was in and out of the studios and also of the Broadway pit of the Gershwin show Girl Crazy so uh, had some some fluctuating personnel but always very musicianally and we got a sense of that Blyer arrangement, which Nichols um, adapted a little bit, uh, changing tempos, which the Blair arrangement didn't, but you get an idea of uh, how a band might utilize one of these stock arrangements to its own effect. After that, we went to Got the pinch, Bench, <laughs> Got the Park, Noble Sissel and his orchestra. Sissel sings that. We heard a uh, tenor solo by Ramon Uzzera. Uh You could hear some bass sax in there by Sidney Bechet. No soprano solo on that one, but um, a good... Uh, Musical, if not hot, arrangement of a uh, Blyer arrangement, recording of a Blyer arrangement. Then after that, as I said, we went to Piccolo Pete. So we're going to uh, hear some hotter versions of Blier uh, arrangements now, some African-American bands, and what they did with uh, the notes that Blier put down. We're going to start out with a tune called OK Baby, and this is done by McKinney's Cotton Pickers, the great band that originally came out of Detroit, was in New York um, at the time, 1930, it was under the direction of Don Redman, who had left the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra a few years before. And uh, we're going to hear... Um, Quite a few uh, interesting soloists and singers on here. Uh, this is a band that was not known to do stock arrangements or it was always assumed that Redmond did all the arrangements, but this is the Blyer arrangement, slightly adapted, and there are several other Blyer arrangements that this band recorded around the same time. So what we're going to hear, or the people we're going to hear in there, are possibly James P. Johnson on piano. He may have sat in on this one. This is from July of 1930. We're going to hear... Um, Prince Robinson on clarinet and tenor sax. Benny Carter might be in there on alto sax. Joe Smith and John Nesbitt on the trumpets. Uh, Langston Curl also on trumpet. Ed Cuffey on trombone. He was a very underrated trombone player of the day. Dave Wilborn on banjo and guitar. Billy Taylor on tuba. Cuba Austin on drums. And George Thomas uh, is on tenor, but he also sings. And uh, we will hear him singing this tune. So that's OK Baby. Following that, we're going to go to... Um, I guess it was a studio band. I don't believe this band appeared uh, in person. It was Bubber Miley and his Mileage Makers. And we heard a uh, a version of I Lost My Gal from Memphis that he did on the first uh, part of this podcast, uh, which you can find uh, elsewhere on the station. But he uh, recorded a tune called Black Mariah, I always thought it was Black Maria, but Black Maria uh, was the name for the paddy wagon that uh, was a familiar sight in the Prohibition era to collect uh, miscreants uh, who were found to have alcohol or doing something else naughty, and uh, this was a tune by Fred Rose, and it was recorded by a number of bands. There were a couple of different arrangements. Uh, this is the um, Blyer arrangement, which is the slightly later one and a little bit more uh, swingy, a little bit more forward-looking. This is from July 3rd of 1930. In addition to Bubber miley on trumpet uh we have ward pinkett playing open trumpet wilbur de paris on trombone um hilton jefferson is on alto sax buster bailey is on clarinet and alto sax we're a great clarinet solo happy caldwell on tenor earl frazier on piano bernard addison on guitar banjo and bill benford on bass uh and tuba and tommy benford on drums and uh no vocal on this one. This is a, a, a straight uh, uh, instrumental version of Black Mariah. After that, we're going to hear a tune called You've Got to Get Modernistic, and uh, the famous such-as-it-is version of this is by James P. Johnson, but we're going to hear a version by Clarence Williams, the African-American um, promoter, piano player, recording executive, what have you. And this will feature his wife, Eva Taylor, on the vocals. Um, this is a uh, an interesting tune that uh, has some of those what we call modernistic effects, I guess you'd have to say. And uh, it'll feature Leonard Davis on trumpet, probably another trumpet player. These were recorded for Columbia in December of 1929. Geechee Fields on trombone. Possibly Don Redman on alto sax, Arvel Harris on clarinet and tenor sax, James P. Johnson on piano, Leroy Harris on banjo, Richard Fulbright on bass. Kind of a classic uh, Clarence Williams lineup in that case. After that, uh, we're going to go to a tune called Is That Religion? Sort of a faux spiritual, if you will. Um, That's a tune that uh, we heard uh, Duke Ellington play in the first broadcast. This is a very different version of the same arrangement, utilizing some of the same elements of the arrangement, but taking some different liberties, much slower version, to feature the vocal of the bandleader, Cab Calloway. So that will be uh, our fourth tune of that set. And, um, all right think we'll add a fifth tune as well this is a tune called sweet and hot and um Played a version of this by the Ben Pollock uh, band on the first Archie Blyard show that featured Jack Teagarden on trombone and singing and also Benny Goodman on clarinet. This is a contemporary version from February of 1931 for Columbia. Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra. And it will feature the vocals and trombone of one of Jack Teagarden's close friends, Jimmy Harrison. Uh, we did a whole podcast on Jimmy Harrison, but I didn't include this number. So this is an addition to our Jimmy Harrison uh, discography. We're also going to hear Rex Stewart on trumpet... Um, Benny Carter on clarinet and alto saxophone, Harvey Boone on alto, Coleman Hawkins on tenor, along with the Henderson rhythm section. Henderson on piano, Clarence Holiday on guitar, John Kirby on tuba, and Walter Johnson on drums. So those will be our five tunes for this set. We're going to hear um, OK Baby, McKinney's Cotton Pickers, Black Mariah, Bubber Miley and his Mileage Makers, You've Got to Get Modernistic, Clarence Williams and his Orchestra, Is That Religion? Cab Calloway and his orchestra, and end up with the Fletcher Henderson version of Sweet and Hot.
2: 52 more payments, and it's yours, dear. Someday, baby, we'll run away. Don't mean, maybe, just mean the day. Even if your mother wants to live with us strain, so baby with me. <laughs>
3: Modernistic, that's all. You wanna be modernistic, why you gotta be optimistic, then you sure to be characteristic, modernistic, that's all.
1: Now you know, don't dunk on. well, my mind ain't on my text. Now tell me is that religion? Yes, brother, brother. You know that's bees some cheating did You all done took me off my knees.
2: music, but the music have got to be sweet and hot, got to be sweet, got to be hot, I've got to have girlfriends, cause I'm mad about girlfriends, and my girlfriends have got to be sweet and hot, sweet and hot, I mean I want them hot, I don't care what tune, as long as it's a hot tune, just keep the heat in it. But sweetness, cause I've got to have music, and I'm mad about music, but the music has got to be sweet and hot, got to be sweet, got to be hot.
0: Some more Archie Blyer arrangements, this time definitely more on the hot side. We started out with OK Baby, McKinney's Cotton Pickers, featuring a vocal by George Thomas. We heard a tenor sax solo and I believe clarinet uh, by Prince Robinson, a very underrated player at the time. Coleman Hawkins actually had very good things to say about Prince Robinson in the 20s, suggesting that he was a kind of a rival in a way. We also heard Joe Smith playing the muted trumpet solo on there, with John Nesbitt playing open and some Ed Cuffey on trombone think that was James P. Johnson on piano as well. Then we went to Bubber Miley and his Mileage Makers and Black Mariah. And I told you uh, there was no vocal. Well, I lied. There was a vocal in there by a man named George Bias, another in the long line of studio vocalists who were sometimes added to jazz recordings to, I guess, make them more marketable. And uh, we heard Bubber Miley. We heard a great uh, clarinet solo by uh, Buster Bailey in there, uh, piano by Earl Frazier, very good hot jazz band. Miley had left the Duke Ellington band a little bit before, and I think he was at the time playing with Leo Reisman's white band. He was a, an added attraction uh, in some theater dates and things like that, and even made a film with him. Uh, so, But he was recording on the side, as I said. Then we heard the Clarence Williams version of You've Got to Be Modernistic, uh, featuring Eva Taylor on vocals. Some very good playing in there as well. Different uh, players. Not entirely sure who some of the players are. Uh, Geechee Fields is probably the trombone player in there, and uh, alto player sounded to me very much like Benny Carter, although uh, it might have been Arvel Harris. Uh, Harris also probably played some clarinet in there too. Then we heard that unusually slow version of Is That Religion by Cab Calloway and his orchestra, featuring some really preaching muted trumpet by R.Q. Dickerson. And uh, that version contrasts starkly with the Ellington version we heard in the other podcast, tempos were completely different, but they were using the same arrangement. The transition figures were the same, the modulation, some of the backgrounds, uh, kind of a study in how to use stock arrangements uh, by jazz bands and also, as we've heard, non-jazz bands alike. Then we finished up with the Fletcher Henderson version of Sweet and Hot. The open trumpet solo on that, I believe, was actually Bobby Stark. Rex Stewart played some of the backgrounds to the vocal, in that case by Jimmy Harrison, uh, who also played some trombone in there. We heard some Coleman Hawkins on tenor sax and some excellent lead saxophone playing by Benny Carter. So we're going to have, uh, I think, four more Archie Blyer tunes. It's going to kind of run the gamut of uh, of, of the Blyer style and uh, the tunes that he was assigned because he had very little um, agency in what tunes to uh, arrange. He would go as an independent contractor to the. Um, publisher whoever it was and he'd be working for multiple publishers at the same time and they'd give him however many tunes he said he could handle and uh, he would have to do his best to, to make them worthwhile and there were some pretty doggy tunes in here but there were some very good ones as well is that religion was a was a really quite a good tune for its day So we're going to hear a tune that uh, probably falls on the other side of that uh, category, a thing called Loose Ankles, which we're going to um, hear declaimed uh, in a vocal as well. This is done by Andy Kirk and his Twelve Clouds of Joy. We did a podcast, one of the very first podcasts I did was about Mary Lou Williams with the Andy Kirk band, and I played many, if not most, of the early recordings by this band, recording for Brunswick in nineteen. Uh, 28, 20, or 29, 30 or so. I did not include this one, I don't think. Um, This was from a date uh, in uh, April of uh, 1930, April 29th. The band recorded in Chicago, and they recorded... two uh, Archie Blyard arrangements. And then on the next day, April 30th, they went in and recorded one more. Um, They recorded uh, Sweet and Hot. They also recorded I Lost My Gal from Memphis. And then this tune, Loose Ankles, which, as I said, features a vocal by um, Billy Massey, who was, uh, I think, toured with the band at the time. And we're going to hear Mary Lou Williams on piano. Uh, We're going to hear Edgar Battle on uh, trumpet. Alan Durham on trombone. If there's any clarinet, there is some clarinet in here. We're going to hear John Harrington. Uh, John Williams plays baritone sax. Lawrence Freeman on tenor. Claude Williams plays violin. We'll hear him throughout there, too. And a really fine drummer, Eddie uh, Crackshot McNeil, who died quite young. In fact, not too long after this uh, session. So he never really got his due, unfortunately. But he was a a very good drummer from the period. So we're going to hear the Archie Blyer arrangement of Loose Ankles done by Andy Kirk and his Clouds of Joy. Following that, we're going to go to um, uh, a band led by a trumpet player named Dave Nelson, who was apparently a relative by marriage of King Oliver, possibly a nephew or cousin or something like that and oliver recorded with this band several times this was kind of his recording band the last two or three sessions that oliver did uh, in his life but the band existed outside of king oliver's orbit it played in harlem and made quite a few recordings including several uh archie Blair arrangements including this one we're going to hear right now i ain't got nobody the classic tune features dave nelson on trumpet uh along with um Uh, vocal he sings on this one Melvin Herbert and Harry Brown on trumpets Wilbur DeParis on trombone in the reed section we have Buster Bailey again on clarinet Glenn Pack on alto and clarinet Charles Frazier on tenor sax Wayman Carver also plays tenor sax and some flute in here as well. I don't believe on this tune, but on some of the other tunes. Sam Allen is on piano, Arthur Taylor on guitar, Simon Marrero from New Orleans on string bass, and Ger- Gerald Hobson on drums. These were recorded for Victor in January of 1931. Then we're going to go to a non-jazz tune by a non-jazz band. George Olson and his orchestra, which was a kind of a... Uh, a middle of the road dance band, a very good one, but didn't really play much hot jazz. George Olson um, later went uh, to. Las Vegas. I think he opened uh, one of the first casinos in Las Vegas with his band. I had a friend who actually played with him at the time uh, and told interesting stories about that period. But the Olsen band played straight-ahead dance music, kind of sweet music, uh, by the 1940s, but they were playing a little bit of hot jazz in the early 1930s as well. And we're going to hear them do a version of uh, a Blyer arrangement of a tune called Listen to the German Band. So we'll hear that. Then we're going to end up with a uh, one of Blyer's most popular hot arrangements, Loveless Love, the tune by um, uh, or published by W.C. Handy. We heard the Noble Sissel version on the first uh, podcast. We're going to hear the Jack Teagarden version on this one. So we're going to finish up with that. And this is Jack Teagarden and his orchestra playing Loveless Love. A lot of the uh, musicians from the um, Ben Pollock band of the time, we have... Uh, Sterling Bowes and Charlie Spivak on trumpets, Teagarden, of course, on trombone and vocal. In the reed section, we have Jimmy Dorsey on clarinet, Gil Roden on alto sax, Eddie Miller on tenor sax, Gil Bowers on um, piano, Nappy Lamar on banjo and guitar, Harry Goodman on tuba and bass, and Ray Baduke on drums finishing up with Loveless Love. So those are our tunes uh, finishing off our Archie Flyer set. Loose Ankles, Andy Kirk and His Clouds of Joy, I Ain't Got Nobody, Dave Nelson and the King's Men, so-called, even though it did include King Oliver. Listen to the German band, George Olson and his orchestra, and Loveless Love, Jack Teagarden and his orchestra.
2: Well, music's good and hard, I start to sway a lot, and all because I've got loose ankle. No matter where I go, they never think I'm slow, as long as I can show loose ankle. Now it used to be the passion to hold hands, oh, so sweet, but now to be in fashion, you must have dancing, prancing feet. Those sweeties, one and all, for me are bound to fall, cause I've got what they call loose ankle.
3: certain band that I enjoy myself. You must come around and see what I'm speaking from. There are just six pieces and the six is five and drum. Listen to the enjoyment band. The music's grand and hand in hand. The kids, they sing and when they sing, a ring around a rosy. When those little Joyman gents play instruments, the audience commence to dance, and then they do it something you should go see. They sound so Wagner, List, Bach, and Oscar Straussie. But when they begin to play, ha cha, hey hey, they sound lousy. Listen to the Joyman band, they blow and blow, but what they blow, you never know, but just the same, I claim this I love you. All around the peoples come to sing and dance and whistle. Couples meet, dance on the street, after the Wiener schnitzel. And they gift the musicers pennies, dimes, and knickles. So the musicers can buy sauerkraut and pickles. The Hans and Fritzes pay two bits this rock to Lieber Augustine. And how they cheer, what applause you hear, when they play the wearing of the green. um pa, pa, um papa. Pa. Oompa, um oompa! Um, um, listen to the Joyman band, the music strand, and hand in hand, the kiddies sing, and when they sing ring around a rosy. When those little joyman gents play instruments, the or the ends commence to dance, and when they do it, something you should go see. They sound so Wagner, and this Bach and Oscar Strauss-y. But when they begin to play, ha-cha-hey-hey hey, Ooh, they're lousy, listen to the German band They blow and blow, but what they blow, you never know But just the same claim it is, I love you
2: milk and soakless soap we are growing used to soul with old such grafting times we never saw that's why we have a pure food law in everything we find our love, even love oh love oh love with love
0: our Archie Blyer program. Those last four tunes showed a pretty fair range of different styles in there and different bands, too. We started out with Loose Ankles, Andy Kirk and his band, featuring a clarinet solo by John Harrington, a tenor solo by Lawrence Freeman, uh, along with the Billy Massey vocal. After that, Dave Nelson and the Kingsmen. Dave Nelson on trumpet. We also heard uh, Buster Bailey on clarinet and Hilton Jefferson on alto sax uh, and I Ain't Got Nobody. Uh, followed by uh, a very novelty tune. George Olsen and his orchestra listened to the German band, and the vocalist on that was Olsen's wife, uh, Ethel Schutte, S H uh, U T T A but pronounced apparently Schutte. And uh, she was a well-known theater actress at the time and uh, did quite a few vocals on his record. She was actually quite good. And so we get a, a sense of how a non-jazz band would couldn't be sound couldn't be made to sound like a hot band at least a little bit through playing Archie Blair's arrangements then we finished up with the Jack Teagarden version of Loveless Love and we heard a clarinet solo by Jimmy Dorsey and a tenor solo by Eddie Miller along with Jack Teagarden singing and playing uh trombone so I hope you've enjoyed this program this is uh Been uh, one close to my heart. I did a lot of work on Archie Blyer, wrote an article on him, and I've been fascinated with his arrangements for quite a while. So, between this and the first podcast, which was released on WETF and should be available soon on this podcast station if it isn't already. Heard about uh, almost 30 different recordings of probably about 25 different Blyer arrangements. I duplicated a couple because the changes were so different and the soloists were so different. So it gives you an idea of the range of material that he was called on to uh, put out as stock arrangements and how different bands used it. So my name is John Clark. You've been listening to The Jazz Focus. If you're interested in sponsoring us, uh, there's a button somewhere on your browser We're sponsoring us on a one-time basis or on a continuing basis month to month. We do appreciate that. We'd love to get some more members of the family. And uh, by all means, contact me on my social media. My band name is The Wolverine Jazz Band at uh, wolverinejazzband.com or wolverinejazzband on Instagram and Facebook. So please feel free to contact me and let me know if you have any ideas for future programs. So again, my name is John Clark, this is The Jazz Focus, and until the next time, I'll see you on the
4: other side.